Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Very groggy Scott is alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, I'm I'm back. I'm pushing through. You know, uh, I've had almost no sleep. Going on no sleep, but the most important thing to me is talking curling with you. So there you go. So if you were with us last week, you know Scott was heading off to Germany for a work. Thing. Yeah, if you uh, if you checked out our, our Instagram page. Yeah, get on the Game of Stones Instagram page. Posted a couple photos there. But so. you also went to Oktoberfest. I did go to Oktoberfest, Sean. Hot take. Mm, Oktoberfest kind of sucks. <laughs> now, I say this as somebody that likes to drink uh, specific kinds of beer. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm very good at drinking beer. But uh, the kind of beer that's prolific at Oktoberfest, let's just say, is not my cup of tea right and i also don't like people that much so uh, all of that combined to make it uh, not super pleasant but we're going to kw oktoberfest yes yeah, so we're uh, gonna go to the, yeah gonna go to the kitchener w uh kitchener waterloo one this weekend uh, our cousin uh, is there with her husband and baby the baby's not gonna come uh, yeah the two yeah. of them are gonna come out and we're gonna go and enjoy some kw we don't know if our other cousin has come in you know it's I, a wild card he's always a wild card assume he's been invited yeah uh, but yeah we're gonna go out to uh i think one of the tamer tents with some games and some beer and yeah i don't think it's gonna be a real wild one but it'll be fun to see a, a contrast for you two weekends in a row of Oktoberfesting. One in Germany, one in Canada. Exactly, Sean. So this is what I'm excited to do. But before we get to that, we got to talk about this weekend in curling. I did manage to log in from Germany and watch some of this Elite 10 as I was, you know, uh, trying to fall asleep at night and the mid-afternoon draw was on. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, let's talk about the Elite 10. Yeah, so the Elite 10 is done. It's over. It. Monday was maybe the best day of the year because it's the longest point before another Elite 10 comes, <laughs> comes around. Uh, but two finals on Sunday. Let's start with the men's final. We had Brad Gushu teeing off against Reed Carruthers in yes. the final there on Sunday evening. And Brad Gushu, uh, again, we will expect another uh, sort of just scathing Steve Simmons article <laughs> that a team can just come out without playing all season, come out and win one of these events. So the first event of the season for Team Gushu, they come out and win in pretty convincing fashion. Pretty convincing, yeah. They didn't have a lot uh, standing in their way, and they played really well. Brad had a good feel for draw weight from what I saw. And, th- yeah, the the men's final I didn't see because it was on too late at night for <laughs> me, and I had a flight the next morning. I did watch the women's final, but uh, looking at it, it seemed kind of close, uh, at least score-wise. But uh, Brad Gushu's team, you know, cementing their perch at the top of the world. Yeah, and especially with Nicky Dean's team struggling early in the season, you have to say that Brad Gushu's team is the best in the world right now. Right now, Uh, yeah. You know, there was a case between the two of them at the end of last year, who is better. Mm Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. now, obviously, Nicodine, that team is struggling. They missed the playoffs here. Uh, Nicodine himself shoots a very low percentage. Yeah. So, you know, it's forgivable in the sense that 
numbers tend to be a little lower when it's skins play. The shots are a little more complicated. Little harder, you don't yeah. have as much trade for Maybe some other factors, which we'll talk about. But the debate right now between Brad Gushu and Nicky Dean, Nicky Dean, there isn't one at all. You know, When we get to yeah. April in the World Championships, if Brad Gushu is even there... We could have that discussion, but right now it's not even close. You're right. You're right. And you know the summer's just over. Time to kick off the rust. Uh, it was a long season for all the teams last year with the Olympics and and all that went along yeah. with that. But like you said, Nicholas Adine himself shot 59 percent in this event, bottom for the skips, and that's just not something we're used to seeing. No, not at all. And uh, the other thing that stood out for me for this week was Glenn Howard having a really good week there. Uh, I called it, Sean. Yeah, you did call that. Um, you know, they struggled early, as Jason pointed out, that we didn't quite get that right in the yeah, last yeah. episode. Uh, but thanks for pointing that out, Jason, that they missed. Uh, they lost all their games in the first event. But but come into this one, uh, a very strong effort. You know, we don't see Glenn Howard at all the Grand Slams anymore uh, for a variety of reasons, but he comes out, has a really good week here in Chatham and mm-hmm. makes it all the way to the semis, uh, I believe, and before he loses. So a very good week then for the Howard foursome, yeah. which, you know, it, it cues up, I think, an interesting season now in Ontario. You know, I think there was a, this mm-hmm. presumption that John Epping was just going to walk through the season, be the dominant team in Ontario. I think he'll still be the favorite, if not the prohibitive favorite, going into those men's playdowns in, in Ontario, but... Glenn Howard is showing that he's still got something in the tank and is not going to go away quietly. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, we see their front end uh, towards the bottom of the percentages, uh, team-wise. But uh, Scott played really well this week. Uh, he's up at 78%, and Glenn himself is, is always uh, going to make some shots as the Wiley veteran. So, yeah, we, we could see them, uh, you know, push John Epping again in Ontario. Uh, John Epping's team... Uh, we can talk about them. They made the semifinals in this event. Yep. Uh, they're still looking very strong. They lost on a draw to the button uh, based on these new new rules where we don't break ties with an extra end anymore. So, you know, they, they missed the draw to the button, and John pulled the string on it. The sweepers were pounding it the whole way, and he came up, you know, maybe a foot short. So, you know, had that gone another way, they'd be in another final uh, competing again, so right. uh, that team is clearly having a good start to the year. They're they're gelling quick, and they've still got to be the Ontario favorites. But you know the way Glenn Howard's team's playing, we could see another uh, two to one Ontario final. Scoreless in the seventh, then as we saw yeah. uh, saw last year. So uh, yeah, definitely a possibility there on the women's side. I said this to you the other day when you got home. Yeah. You know, I've said for the past couple of years that I think Rachel Holman's team is the best in the world. Uh, I, I think you have to change now. I think I think it's the, there's no argument to be made that it's not Anna Hasselberg's team mm-hmm. that is the best in the world. They come out here, they win another event with this uh, the Elite Ten. Surprisingly to me, first Grand Slam that they've ever won. Mm-hmm. But they have just been on an absolute tear. Uh, you know, she's won a world championship. She's silver medal this year at the world championships, defending Olympic champion, wins the first Grand Slam here. This team has to be considered the best women's team in the world. And I, I you know, I, I was a holdout for a long time. Yeah. Because Rachel Holman, when they're on, they're so good. Yeah. But this team seems a little more consistent right now than yeah. it has been for the past year. And they're just almost, almost unstoppable. You're right, Sean. They are. And uh, looking at the team percentages for the week, they were the top. Uh, Anna Hasselberg was the top. I did mention to you before we started today that 
the game they played against Rachel Holman, the last game of their uh, group's round robin, they they should have lost that game. Uh, Anna was throwing, I think, 30-something percent on draws going into the sixth end. Like, she had no feel for draw weight at all, and it seemed like the Holman team just kind of let them hang around, which happens in skins play, obviously, yeah. yep. right? But they were two up with three to play was Holman, and Hasselberg won in regulation. So it was, it was sort of incredible to me uh, the perseverance they showed, you know, uh, Sarah McManus was showing up, making shots when she needed to. I told you that I think she might be now the best third in the world. Yep. Emma Miskew uh, might have something to say about that. Yeah. Looking at her stats for the week, she topped the thirds. Yeah. Or even Kate Cameron might. Maybe. You know, maybe. I mean, we haven't seen Kate Cameron with a real, with all due respect to Michelle Engelot, with a real top-level elite skip. Yeah. At to this point, I mean, but she, the way she played last year at the Continental Cup in the Scotties, uh, Kate Cameron has a pretty good case too. But Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, you know, and, and looking at, like, degree of difficulty of shots, you know, Emma Miskews was, was top of the field. Yeah. And even with that, she had the highest percentage. So, right. you know, uh, yeah. something to be said there. Yeah. But And Caitlin Laws too. You can't obviously forget Caitlin Laws as eh. arguably the best in the world. But it's a, it's a crowded field. But Sarah McManus is... Has a case. Yeah, you're you're absolutely a, right. She's yeah. she's a super well-rounded player. Uh, fun Instagram follow. So that's that's always uh, always always a bonus. Important for uh, considering best players in the world. But uh, yeah, so the whole event was seemingly well received by the crowd that was there. It wasn't a big crowd, but they did sell out. Yep. Uh, an all-European final doesn't make for the best TV numbers. But going against NFL Sunday, anyway, you're, you're kind you're of stuck losing numbers in that case, anyway. And CFL too. There's the, there was a game in Montreal on Sunday. Oh yeah, which the women's <laughs> final was going against. So you you know I mean there's things on TV. There's other, things going on. Other yeah, lots of curling. sports. Yeah. But uh, for me, you know, in Germany, I had <laughs> I had the NFL on one screen, the Blue Jays on another screen, and the curling on a third screen. <laughs> so I was triple screening it nice. as I was get packing and getting ready to go home because it's all, you know, in, in the evening there. Yeah. So it was great for me overall. I did seem to think that the percentages, the shooting percentages were low, but as you brought up, it's more of a skins format uh, with match play. So the shots are, on average, harder. Tend to be harder. Now, we talked before we started recording, <laughs> does the lack of stopwatches come into play in terms of the lower shooting percentage? Small sample size, but yes, the numbers were lower this week. Yeah. But again, you can't expect that in this type of format. I hope that the Grand Slam puts in this rule for other events, just so we get a bigger sample size, to see if it actually makes a difference, and to do it in... A just normal point right, game right. to see if it affects scoring at all. The mm-hmm. same is true for the tick rule as well. I want to see if that tick rule, which did come into play a few times, where yes. they had to replace stones that were on the center line and, and had been moved, if that actually makes a difference in scoring. right? Because in this case, you could say, even if you say, well, there was more threes or fours, but there's going to be more threes and fours when you're playing a skin style. Right. So I would like to see this format or the rules that were put in place for this weekend try it out in a points game to see if it actually makes a difference on scoring because that's really the whole purpose yeah 100 percent. and 
And, you know, like I said, the, the percentages were down. Team Hasselberg topped the field uh, in the women's side with 79% uh, shooting percentage, which is low for a team percentage that on a team that wins. For a team that wins, yeah, for sure. Uh, and then we had uh, Team Chelsea Carey, my, my pick to win. <laughs> the official team of the Game of Stones podcast. Uh, down at 67% for the week. So uh, I would say overall per- shooting percentages were lower for the women. Um, for the men, it seemed like a little more regular. You drop your pen I there, bud? Yeah, pen, yeah. Oh, yeah, all right. For the men, it seemed uh, a little more in line. We saw the top three teams in the 80s and then high 70s for the next three. So a little more on, on par with usual percentages. Mm-hmm. But you're right. We need to see more data to see how these rules impacted those shooting percentages, if at all. Yeah, so we'll see what happens if they decide to put it in for the next event, which is in January, or excuse me, in January, in no, uh, November. Uh, I think there might be one in October. Who knows? There's so many of these now. Uh, but we'll see if they put it in place for the next one uh, at the next Grand Slam event and see if it actually does make a difference. So in terms of our picks, Scotty, uh, we didn't do particularly well. You had Chelsea Carey winning. Well, you know, the team events. of the Game of Stones podcast. I um, had, to, had to go with it. And I had Sylvana Tiranzoni winning. And uh, I came a little closer in that. They did not win, but, of course, in the final. So what we've decided to do for our picks for the rest of the season, for each event, regardless of the number of teams in the playoffs, we are going to each pick four teams and who we think is going to win. If we get the winner right, it's worth two points. Playoff teams is worth one point. Just to simplify, streamline it. Because, Sean, I listened to our podcast. I've never listened to one before. Right. And I thought, oh, boy, that sounds... Like it was taking us a long time to think of six yes, teams, it and, did. and you know what? Uh, I was having trouble thinking <laughs> of six teams. So, four teams, and out of those four, one team to win. There Easy. you go. Yeah. So after the World Cup on the picks, we were tied three points each. On this one, we each had four playoff teams. I had Hasselberg, Scheidegger, Jennifer Jones, Tiranzoni. You had Jones, Tiranzoni, Hasselberg and uh, Scheidegger, so the same four. Same four. Uh, so the same four, we each had uh, different winners and different finals, and be- with this scoring system, we are currently tied at seven. We each get four points for this event. So after two events on the picks, we are tied at seven. Oh, look out. This is going to be a big competition, Sean. We should decide on what the winner gets, right? We should. Maybe tweet at us or, or send us yeah. an email if you can think of what we're actually playing for. That would be uh, great. On this one. Yeah, and, uh, and if there's sponsors out there, you know, that you can fold into it, that'd be cool too. That'd be great know. too, uh, yeah. With my great pants. I have amazing curling pants that have the pinstripes on them. Yeah, you got and, the stripes. Uh, I really like those pants. I've had them for a long time. It's a high-quality pants, and I would not object to that company maybe approaching us. Um <laughs> Potentially. Or should it be the winner beats the loser with a Subway sandwich? <laughs> maybe. As yeah. the Bill Simmons uh, joke yes. used to go. Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe we'll do that uh, <laughs> with the delicious footlong cold cut sandwich. Yeah, we'll put it on our Instagram page. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so there you go. So that's the Elite 10. We'll look forward to the next Grand Slam event. Elsewhere on tour this weekend, nothing overly interesting to me at least happened. Other than uh, the Matt Dunstone team won the Prestige Hotel and Resorts Curling Classic out in Vernon. Okay. We talked about this event when we were doing the schedules and noting that they were going out there along with the Kirk Myers team. Mm -hmm. So not a bad event out there that they were playing. I think Jim Cotter was in the event 
as well. So a pretty good field out there. Matt mm-hmm. Dunstone, good for them to get a win under their belts early in the season. New team, young team. Absolutely. That's going to need that momentum going forward. My favorite part, though, is they tweeted out a picture of them uh, after the win. <laughs> Braden Muscow is twice as big <laughs> as Matt Dunstone. Like, Braden Muscow is a big guy. He's not only tall, but he's sort of wide and he's thick. Like, he looks like he's, like, strong, right? He's, he's like a solid line like. right like when you think of like a like when people say like a country boy right yeah that, he, that's what he looks like and matt dunstone's not a big dude in any of those <laughs> categories i think matt dunstone's like i don't think i could push matt dunstone over like you don't get me wrong but compared to Breda Moscowi, yeah uh, so it's the the size <laughs> discrepancy between the two of them i find it quite entertaining and Braden Muscow is sort of standing over <laughs> Matt Dunstone sort of lording over him yeah. uh, it's a great photo uh, so if you haven't seen it it's at Team M Dunstone their pitcher from their win out in Vernon this weekend also Karsten Sturme won an event the Avenir Cash Spiel okay. uh, so that team moving you know very big from the Alberta uh, they played in the final last year yeah. uh, they also played in the University Finals, uh, the the C the CIS championships, whatever it's called, or U Sports, whatever it's called now. They represented the University of Alberta at that events, and he also played in the mixed doubles, all over the place. So he was all over the place. So that's a that's a name to look out for mm-hmm. in Alberta. And depending on how this year goes, you know, I know the the Botcher team is staying together, uh, and and they say that they will, but you never know. I, I'm so you know if if something happens there. Between those two teams, uh, age-wise, it it fits pretty well. But that Botcher team was really good and last year, so we'll see what happens there. Sean, do you know uh, who won the women's side of that uh, spiel at Vernon? Was that Alina Kovaleva? Alina Kovaleva wins the the Prestige Hotel and Resorts on the women's side, and the Avenir Cash Spiel went to Ka- Nikki Kaufman. But yes, you're right, Alina Kovaleva. Yeah, they wins. they had a fun Instagram of them dancing uh, after, after after the the win. Uh, the win. So uh, yeah, check them out on on Instagram. A fun follow. Yeah. So uh, so the, oh, that's all the news from this past weekend. There's an event this weekend out in Toronto. The Stu Cells, the Thanksgiving weekend events out there. Another. Pretty big events on the cash bill circuit. Not quite as big as some other events, given that it's Thanksgiving weekend. And a lot of teams will take the opportunity to relax after a somewhat busy September for a lot of folks. Uh, but that's really the only main events on the cash bill circuit this weekend. The women are also playing a, an event uh, in Calgary this weekend. So okay. we can't forget them. It's the... Uh, Curlers Corner Autumn Gold Curling Classic. There you go. So that's a, a pretty big field uh, as well. Yeah, and, and then probably though the biggest event would be over in Stockholm. That Stockholm, I think it's called the Stockholm's Lady Ladies Cup, something along those lines. It's a very big event. Anna Hasselberg is a, has already flown back for it. Uh, so then Arizona's right. playing, and a lot of the European teams are playing that. So if you're interested in that, I think they are going to. Cover that on the on a YouTube channel, uh, but you'll be able to find actually live coverage yeah, of that. I tweeted uh, I tweeted a link to uh, some of the coverage. There'll be coverage Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, so uh, if you're if you're visiting your family for a Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada, and you're sick of them, <laughs> you can watch watch them curling. And uh, for our American friends, just you know, if you're sick of the NFL, 
uh, you can just yeah watch or if you just want to watch some curling on a weekend nothing wrong with that heck right? yeah uh, so that's going on over in Stockholm this weekend. Now, uh, some other big news in the world of curling this weekend. Let's start with Curling Canada. They announced the mixed doubles participants for the next World Cup. So right. we knew already that Jason Gunlison was going to go for the men's side, and we knew that Tracy Fleury was going to go on the women's side. We suspected that John Morris might go, and he is going. Not with Caitlin Laws, though. They've picked Taylor McDonald yeah. to go with him. And you might remember Taylor McDonald, uh, Alberta player who played a long time with Kelsey Rock. Kelsey Rock. So she's going to play together with John Morris. See how that goes. Sure. This is sort of the third person Partner. that we've seen John Morris play with mm-hmm. in the past couple of years. But he's the sort of guy who can pretty much play with anyone, mm-hmm. uh, which is not to take anything away from Caitlin Laws. She was essential to the team winning the gold medal. Uh, but John Morris is that type of personality that you can mesh with, I think, pretty easily. We'll see if they get out, play a couple of spiels before this. But mm-hmm. the the news there this week that the Canadian roster for the World Cup is set. Yeah, and you know we we did suspect that John Morris would be going because uh, the challenge for Canada at this event is that of course it's taking place during the Canada Cup. Yes. And teams that are going to play in the Canada Cup aren't going to want to lose one of their members to go, you know, play mixed doubles. So we saw, we see Taylor McDonald going uh, and I think I think that it'll be a really great chance to see exactly how good John Morris is at this discipline. Uh, I know he's been focusing on it. Yes. And it will be a real test for his communication skills. Like you say, I, I don't doubt that he can do it. Uh, he, he's obviously a, a great curler and has been able to do it in the past, as he did with, with Caitlin Laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if other countries might see this as an opportunity to maybe, you know, send a strong mixed doubles team and, and try to upset a team that's just been thrown together. Yeah, well, we certainly saw that in the men's and women's side with the United States putting their top teams That's in right. this event rather than the event in China. A variety of reasons as to why that could be. One is that this is in the United States, out yeah. in Omaha. Yeah. So we've seen the United States seeming like they're trying to really focus on this particular event, mm-hmm. see what happens with the other countries in their mixed doubles, especially when you look at like the Swiss for instance, who they decide to send will be really interesting as, mm. as a perennial powerhouse in mixed doubles. So we'll see what happens as the field continues to flush out. Yeah, and I, I, and for these countries, I can't imagine that they don't send their mixed doubles specialists. You know, they're 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 mixed doubles teams. You know, yeah. Uh, we don't. Canada is sort of in the luxurious position of being able to swap in teams. Uh, but other countries, you know, they don't have to. It's, there's not a rule that no. it has to be three different teams for each event. So uh, I, I can't imagine a more prestigious mixed doubles event keeping some of those teams out of the Curling World Cup. Right, and given the way the schedule works, the people who play on four-people teams, uh, if they're not in the World Cup, it's not like there's big cash wheels, at least in Canada where most of the big cash wheels are that right. weekend because of the Canada Cup. So we'll keep our eyes out for the field there and see how John Morris and Taylor McDonald do. Uh, the other big news that came out this week and Curling Zone, or excuse me, Curling Geek was very good about putting all this yeah. out. The annual meeting of the Canadian, formerly Canadian Curling Association, now Curling Canada. So some pretty interesting tidbits 
out of that meeting, uh, a lot of them financial. Mm-hmm. I think the, the finances of this were actually quite fascinating in terms of how much money Curling Canada makes uh, and where they make their money. Where they make their money is the most interesting thing to me, but give me those uh, tidbits, Sean. Okay, so by events, the profits were the Continental Cup, $180,000, the Women's World Championships, $299,000, the Briar, uh, $1.2 million, the Scotties, $108,000, the War of the Rings, $252,000. Right, and so obviously the Briar is making five times as much money five or six times as much money as any other event. Yes. Now, to be fair, you know, if these are the numbers from last spring, that event out in uh, BC, right, not as, not a big spot, right? And we had, we saw that there, a lot of the venue was empty for a lot of the draws. And you compare that to being in Regina, right? If you put the Briar in, where was the Scotties? It was in what, like Abbotsford or... Wasn't it in uh, Kamloops? Kamloops, Kelowna. I think it was in Kelowna. Oh, it was in Penticton. Penticton, there you go. Near Kelowna, yeah. It's close. So if you put the the briar in Penticton, it's not going to make as much money as it does when it's in Regina. Well, of course, but... but So so that that has to be factored in. It can't just be a matter of, well, the briar makes a lot more money. There's circumstances that allow the briar to make more money. There are, but keep in mind that they put the briar in bigger venues... And thus, the operating costs are a little higher. So, so this is profit, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's yeah. So the the tweet. I'm going on Curling Geek's tweet here. That yes, that's <clears throat> the profit buy event. Right. And and so what this is showing to me is that Curling Canada is making the right decision by keeping uh, the Scotties and basically every other event in smaller venues and still being able to turn a profit. The Women women's worlds that number was two ninety nine. Two ninety nine, yeah. In North so Bay. that's that's an amazing number, I'd say, for the size of venue they were in. The world field is always a little less attractive to a crowd than uh, all Canadian field, where you're rooting for a flag on the back, you know, a provincial yep. crest. But that was that building was full every that, draw. And and all credit to the people of uh, North Bay and those who made the trek. I was not brave enough to uh, <laughs> drive the four hours, but it's a terrible drive from here. Yeah, it's yeah, really bad. Oof, rough. But but to me, the most impressive event is that women's worlds uh, out of that list that you that you ran down. Uh, we know the Briar makes that much money. The Briar is always the big cash cow for the season of champions. Yep. And uh, I was telling you, I was listening to the Rocks Across the Pond podcast, and. They had a really great discussion. Go check it out if you get a chance. Uh, they had a really great discussion about the future of curling and how increased professionalization is watering down number of entries into provincial championships. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if someday this catches up to Curling Canada and we see the effect at the Briar, at the numbers that they pull in for people going to see the Briar. Uh, yeah, it, that'll be really interesting to see what happens. There's a lot of discussion right now that we've seen about what to do in terms of who gets in, who yeah. doesn't get in, what happens with these provincial spots. You know, again, with all due respect to the Jamie Murphys and the Eddie McKenzies of the world who come with no real expectation of winning. Forget or even being really competitive. Yeah, right? forget about winning. Right? If they go 
six if they win six games over the course of the week, then that's a really good week for them. Probably not good enough to make the playoffs, right? But considered a really good week. So our people from Nova Scotia, you know, those blue nosers who show up every year, at some point, does it get to the point where they won't mm-hmm. uh, continue to go? And and who knows how that will play out? We've certainly seen it in Newfoundland. I think Newfoundland is really the sort of ground zero for this, where yeah. when Brad Gushu was playing in the provincials, he, they have a tough time finding people to play him. Yeah, they get three or four teams that enter, and yeah. we saw last year, of course. Wide open field. I think there, there was double digits in the number of yeah. teams that participated, and I think this year will have to be the exact same with Gushu again not yeah. being there. I even talked to my friend in Gander about, hey, call me the import. I'll go out and play. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not, eh? Yeah, so just go for it. And uh, But that's really, I think, sort of the patient zero of where this could be going. Mm where you get a dominant team. Not in all provinces. This is this is never going to happen in Alberta, Manitoba, Manitoba. Probably not Ontario, but who knows. But those are the provinces where you can sustain. Mm-hmm. Maybe Saskatchewan. Maybe. But, you know, the history of men's curling in Saskatchewan mm-hmm. would indicate that competitiveness isn't always... It's not, always it's, not a, it's not a guarantee. So what ends up happening then if all the dominant teams are coming from those p- three provinces? Do you go with, well, let's just pick the top 10 teams on the order of merit, 12 teams on the order of merit or, or the, the CRTS points. But then if all those teams are going to be coming from those three provinces or maybe that then, Brad Gushu too... Then who's going? Then who's going to show up to right. it? And so there's this real balance that uh, Curling Canada, I and I know they know this, but they have to strike a balance where... They still have top-level curling, and it's not a watered-down field as a, as a whole because, obviously, people want to go to this event. It's a big event to go to. It's really fun. Uh, but if it's all B, B teams, so to speak, they're not going to make the amount of money that they make now exactly. on the field. But at the same time, they've got to be able to keep it uh, to a way where all provinces can be represented because, again... Like you say, the Blue Nosers won't come if Nova Scotia is not represented, right? Maybe they will. Yeah, uh, they like drinking beer, <laughs> but uh, it's it's this real delicate balance. And the guys on the Rocks Across the Pond podcast they had a, a better discussion than than we've had here, and a more lengthy one. Uh, but it's something that everyone should be thinking about and maybe worrying about a little bit. So yeah, because if we, we we might get to the point in this country where. It's not dissimilar to what we're seeing maybe in Scotland now, where you know on the men's side you had two elite level teams mm-hmm. and they just go back and forth. You know we have more players, so we probably won't get to that level. But I mean we talked last year at the Briar was the field in terms of who could win more than four deep, five deep, and right? and we saw the three years before it was the same teams in the playoffs every, every year. year. Yeah. So. So yeah, there's something... It's happening already. But at the same time, they're still making money on the Briar. Yes. So yes. Now, they shouldn't be worried yet, but... It's coming. Yeah. Potentially. It, you've got to be able... You've got to be planning for that eventuality. Yeah. And and if the Briar... Now it's making about 1.2, and I think it's been the same ballpark for the last three or four years. Right. If, if that event goes to making $800,000... Now, Curling Canada is in a lot of trouble. Yes. Because they need to make money on those big season of champions events to be able to offer subsidized loans to curling clubs to make capital repairs, to give money to junior programs across the country. 
all this all the things they do with their money that help support the grassroots is sustained by the money they make in the season of champions so yeah absolutely and and if you look at the <laughs> overall numbers for the whole year the total revenue for curling canada just over 23 million and the expenditures 22 million so they made 1.2 million 1.27 million last year the year before 890,000 year before they were 160 short thousand right. so you know the, the we're not talking about you know, mega profits here. You know, you have to have the volunteers. Like, you can't yep. afford to pay people. Th- yep. This sort of stuff happens, and approximately half of their revenue comes from season of champions events. So, of that mm-hmm. and twenty-three the rest is- million, you got eleven million of it coming from season of champions events. And this is a an Olympic year where you have a big bunch of money yeah. from the War of the Rings. Now, Curling Geek points out that in these numbers, it doesn't include the nine hundred thousand dollars they got from the hosting committee right. for the rights to it because they would have gotten that back in 2015, presumably. Yeah. But still, uh, you're not dealing with a, a total amount of money that is making anybody rich. Right, and the rest of their money, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a, a large portion of it comes from fees collected across the country from every curler that, that signs up at a club uh, pays a fee to a member association that then trickles up uh, somehow to Curling Canada. So, yeah. So you have the uh, so the the way in which their funding works. So on season of champion events, you have the direct money, uh, eleven and a half million dollars. Sponsorship, six and a half million dollars. So you're talking okay. about pretty much the majority of their events coming through season of champions. Yeah. Uh, or the the money. The national team programs make two and a half million. The core funding from Sport Canada, $1.2 million. Donations, philanthropic things, $568,000 through that. And then the competitor and affiliation fees are less than philanthropic. Right. Not so, by much, but you're only talking about a half, just over half a million dollars. And if from, you think about the number of curlers in Canada, it's not very much per curler that no, they're paying to this. No, it's not. So, yeah, it, it, the margins are... Small, uh, not razor thin, but you know they're thin. And the way that the future of the game is going, we have to we have to be careful in yeah, Canada. I think so. So uh, now that being said, you did mention beer at one point. Uh, one of the more interesting <laughs> things that comes out of this in St. John's, New, uh, yes. Newfoundland, in the 2017 Briar, the bar sales were three hundred ninety nine thousand one hundred seventy five dollars. Oh, that's great. <laughs> In Regina, the bar sales were $169,000. So well over double uh, the bar sales in St. John's than what we had in Regina. Uh, well done, Newfoundland. Uh, not surprising? It's, it, to me, it's a little surprising for only because the Mile One Center in St. John's is, is like very close to George Street. So you don't have to go to the patch there, right? You could right. go and go to a bar anywhere, bar anywhere <laughs> down the street when Newfoundland's coming there out go. there. Um, whereas in Regina, you can speak more to this, but the, the there's arena, nothing there. yeah, there's, there's nothing there's around nothing it, there. right? Yeah. So in theory, you have to drink at the patch, but uh, in Regina, there's more driving. So you know, if you're driving yeah. to the event, you're not going to stay and have four beers where downtown st john's you probably got an airbnb or a hotel quite close by i know i i know there's a hotel right at mile one 
Yeah, the players uh, were staying there, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, a bunch of people stay there. Oh, sure, I'll tie one on, have five or six beers at the patch after the game. So maybe that's an argument to be made for venues in the future being closer to city centers, more accessible to public transit. Yeah. Because if you can make that kind of revenue. Yeah. And the Gushu effect too. Like let's not oh, absolutely. Of, uh, sleep on that. You know, the playoff games, the final, certainly the building was obviously full. I would be stunned if the patch wasn't full during For those that. games as well. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, normally dead times at the patch would have been <clears throat> busy because people are there. Yeah. Uh, you know, those sorts of that, especially that final, that was a real communal event. Oh, big time. You know, and you the know. power outage you had, you know, it was yeah. just, uh, you really yeah, wanted to get there. So, uh, so some interesting numbers there in terms of the ratings, the ratings seem to be pretty good. The average, Number of viewers for Tim Hortons Briars games, 657,000. For the Scotties Tournament of Hearts, 569,000 people. So that's your average permanent audience. They're claiming that this is more than the Blue Jays. Now that's the 2018 Blue Jays, so maybe not surprising. The uh, CFL in 2017, that season, also more than Sunday Night Hockey, the hometown hockey Mm -hmm. series on Sportsnet, and more than Monday Night Football. So not really surprising on Monday Night Football to me. Um, I'm a little surprised maybe on the hockey, but it's the Sunday Night Hockey. They, they don't put the Saturday Night Hockey, which I right. know would be much more than this. But good number on the ratings uh, overall yeah. for Curling Canada. Overall great numbers. I, I'd like to see how the Grand Slams are doing. This is just Season of Champions stuff, right? Yeah, this is just Curling Canada. So I'd like to see how those Grand Slams are doing. I'm sure that they're doing less oh, than, easy. than these yeah, numbers. definitely. But... Uh, if you compare it to a Blue Jays game, like Blue Jays numbers for Sportsnet uh, when they were winning 16, 15, 16, uh, for the playoff games they were getting over a million people. Yeah, which is pretty crazy, uh, you know. So for the the Briar and Scotties to be doing like maybe half that. Uh, yeah, it's really it, it's good. really 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 good. Yeah, and this is so this is and this is average per minute. So right, so uh, you're gonna have more on those evening draws. Yeah. Yeah, well, it doesn't say like if these are just the evening draws or if they would also then include the morning draws because obviously the mornings are going to be probably significantly less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and same with the afternoons. It's sort of just going to build through the day. Uh, but overall, very strong numbers there and for do, currently in Canada. Do you know if this includes streaming at all? It doesn't indicate it here in the, the graph that but, they have in the annual report. Right. But they have the total impressions okay. for the season. So they're saying 8.7 million Canadians tuned into some point of the season of champions this year that's their estimate which is great they're great numbers uh curling curling is a great tv sport because it fills a lot of time yep during times when otherwise there would be no no sports on mostly in the middle of the day and uh it's exciting like it's it's yeah. good to watch. Well, it's, it's confined space too, right? It's, right? It's not like a football field where you know the, the cameras on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. You can't see the receivers. They sort of the quarterback throws and then they sort of pan. And you're like, oh, maybe that guy was open, right? right? You can't really see the whole play. Soccer too, you're going back and forth. Like auto racing, like speed doesn't really translate to television mm-hmm. very well. So something like this, I think it's a perfect TV sport. Plus, you can hear the players. Hearing the players is key. It's key. And, and I don't want to say that the uh, the crew don't work hard because they work extremely hard, but it's not super, super expensive. I can't imagine it's super expensive to produce. No. no Where, especially once you've got it ironed out and you you know have the truck and you know what you're doing. 
Yeah. Uh, maybe somebody in the industry can prove me wrong, but TSN has it down to like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Uh, when you go to events and you talk to some of those guys, like they, they know what they're doing. They're pros. Yeah. Uh, the camera people are pros. Yeah. yeah. Like there's three camera guys on the ice, I think. Yeah. You know, the players the all game, know them. And they all so. know them by name. They're chatting. Yeah. Uh, there's someone who runs the remote cam on the overhead. Yeah. And somebody else sort of in the uppers sort of walking around. Yeah. Like it's not that expensive of a proposition. I mean, it's not reality TV cheap, but it's not, no. uh, you know, it's not like an NFL broadcast with 18 cameras and, you yeah. know, angles from every which way. Somebody in the truck cutting all the time. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, so overall, it seems like things are strong over at Curling Canada. The other thing I just wanted to mention real quick, the Rocks and Rings program, mm. they said 217,000 kids participated this year, over 1,400 schools they went to. Wow. So a good introduction for kids. And I know that they're targeting communities that tend to not curl. Right. So, and not even in sort of an ethnic way, just urban sort of centers. urban centers where people don't play as much. Mm-hmm. So they want to get in to those areas. So they're trying to reach out to kids there. And interesting to me, 250 curling centers or clubs across the country have adult learn to curl programs. Mm. So in terms of growing the game at the grassroots level, that's key. Obviously the kids one is very important right? because you want the kids to get in because hopefully they'll stay with it for their, their whole lives. But if the kids are in, then maybe you get the parents in. Yeah. Or if you have younger people, people in their 20s or 30s who maybe don't have families yet, they start to curl. Want to make friends. Or, yeah, whatever it is. And so uh, 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 that's a lot to me uh, at 250 clubs across the country. It's, uh, it's really great. And I know we talked about what makes a good curling club, and it's always the people. Yes. And if you move to a new city, as you and I have both done in our adult lives, one of the first things is uh, look for look for a curling club to try and make friends. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, go back, listen to our episode if you want to know what we think makes a good club. So uh, I have a couple corrections that we have to make here, Scott. Um, first off, the next Grand Slam is October 23rd to the 28th. It's the Masters in Truro, Nova Scotia. Road trip? No. So that'll be, uh, that'll be that uh, week, starting on a Tuesday, that event. Also, we got an email from Dan Hazlitt last week wow, after good. our a glowing recommendation of the Wheels in. He, uh, oh, the wheels in. The wheels in, yeah. So we love the wheels in out in Chatham there. He informed us that the wheels in unfortunately closed eight years ago. So our dream of a wheels in sponsorship might be dead. Time yes. to pour a little out for the, uh, the pour wheels one out, in. Pour one out for the wheels in. We love the wheels in. Oh, boy. Uh, the article he sent me indicated that they might be building a casino at that spot. Still fun, but maybe not for the whole family <laughs> <laughs> anymore. Uh, so thanks to Dan for sending that one along to us. Yes, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. And I, I mentioned to you, uh, you know, a couple minutes ago there, I'd listened to the Rocks Across the Pond yes. podcast. Uh, I've also listened to, you know, since I've been traveling, I've had a little more time to listen to some pods. So I listened to the two girls in a game, a couple of theirs early in the season, real good stuff. I didn't listen to their interview with uh, Adam Kingsbury, but that's on my list of things to do. Uh, so shout out to them for uh, some good content. And uh, the Lazy Handle Show, 11-year-old Katrina, she's uh, done this uh, this YouTube show, which is really great, Sean. So I had a chance to finally check it out, her Elite 10 preview, where she did basically what, what it took us an hour to do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in 10 minutes. So 
It's great stuff. Check it out. She has an interview. Uh, I think she did an interview with Devin Hero recently. Yeah, she did. Uh, she's done lots of cool interviews on her uh, YouTube channel, so check it out. They're about 10-minute episodes uh, here and there. Uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, good very stuff. good stuff. Well-named as well. The yeah. Lazy Head show. Yeah. Really, so there, really there's lots of great uh, curling content out there. There's other shows that I didn't talk about now, but uh, just because I can't remember them. Uh, <laughs> but I've, I've been, uh, you know... In doing this Instagram page, following a lot of uh, a lot of curling media on there, and there's lots of good stuff. So lots of good be stuff. sure to check it out as much as you can handle. Ah, pun intended. There you go. And, and uh, uh, so yeah, I wanted to make sure we mentioned those people for sure. And I also shout out. You said you mentioned Devin Hero. He wrote a really good article about whether or not the season is too long. Uh, Asking yes. a bunch of players yeah. whether or not the season is too long. It seems like there's a mixed reaction. Some people say yes, some people say no. Glenn Howard says, if I was younger, there's no way I could have done this. Just there's the time that it takes. So, sure. Uh, and we sort of touched on this as well, but it's a really interesting read to get the player's perspective mm-hmm. on it because, you know, I'm exhausted watching all this stuff. And they're <laughs> the ones who actually have to do it. Uh, so uh, shout out there to Devin Hero. So uh, a busy week in the world of curling there, Scotty. And Yeah, I can hardly lot, handle it. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Oh, boy. Um, so... Welcome break early in the season here as we prepare for a nice Canadian Thanksgiving. The weather has started to turn here in the nation's capital. The leaves are going. Everything's looking good. The ice is in. I know a lot of people have started their seasons this week or will be starting next week. I've played two games already myself. Scott, you have not been on the ice as yet as you've been out of the country. I'm saving my body for the uh, the real grind. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, so good luck to everybody getting out there uh, again this season. Have a great season. Uh, certainly be safe on the ice, as always. No slips, no falls. Uh, enjoy yourselves. Curling's a lot of fun. Season's here. Fully embrace it. And if you're not on a team, you don't play yet, try and find a club somewhere close to you. Yeah, maybe join a Learn to Curl, or if you already know how to play, uh, just hang out. Because uh, <laughs> sometimes... Uh, you know, like uh, Edgar hangs out at our club, and we're like, "Hey, Edgar, we need a player." So there you go. So right? yeah, yeah, you know, you never know. Works out well. So there you go. So uh, so happy season to all the club curlers out there, as it gets going across the country and down in the states as well. As Scotty mentioned, we got the Instagram page up and running. Please do go give that one a follow. It is Game of Stones Pod. Game of Stones Pod, yeah. On the Instagram, so go check that one out. You can see. Uh, an Instagram story of Scott's Munich experience in Oktoberfest. And well, I think it's I think it's uh, gone now. Those stories don't last forever. Oh, they don't last. Okay, no. so it's gone. Oh, geez. So uh, maybe don't check it out. But uh, there's still some photos of mountains and stuff. Okay, so, so there you go. So and, and we'll post uh, obviously stuff about curling as well through the course of the season. You can find the Twitter at Game of Stones Pod on there as well. So you can give us a follow if you haven't yet. Please do subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google, all that fun stuff, wherever you get your pods. Give us a like, rating, all that fun stuff to boost the visibility of the show. That would be great. I've been told it helps if you do all those things in terms of the circulation. So please do that. Big time. Uh, for Scotty on Twitter, at Scott Lakes TV. I am at Dr. Shawnee Fever. We'll be back with you next week as we look ahead to some of the other cash wheels going on across the country and everything else in the world of curling. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice. Don't dump that into. Make the final.